Welcome to the Potato Link Podcast, where we will be talking with experts on a range of topics relating to potato cultivation and research. Potato Link is the Horde Innovation Australian Potato Industry Communications and Extension Project. The project is funded out of the Fresh and Processing Potato Funds and contributions from the Australian Government. While the project is managed by Horde Innovation, Applied Horticultural Research is the team contracted to deliver the project. In this episode of the podcast, Dr. Jenny Ekman from AHR talks to the Tricow Group's Global Director of Potato Research and Market Support, Dr. Chad Hutchinson. Chad has worked with potato growers around the world on topics ranging from variety selection, crop nutrition, soil health, and soil disease suppression, helping potato growers be successful. Jenny and Chad discuss how soil fumigation works, when it is needed, and its impact on soil biology. Let's get started. So it's Jenny Ekman here from Applied Horticultural Research and today I'm talking to Chad from Trical uh, who's out here in Australia for a short but I think, I hope, an interesting visit. So Chad, would you like to introduce yourself and your role with Trical? Sure. Hi Jenny, thanks for this opportunity. So happy to be here and meet you and your growers and talk potatoes. Again, my name is Chad Hutchinson. I'm the dire- Global Director of Potato Research for the TriCal Group. And in my role, I uh, work with potato growers and soil fumigation to optimize their production and quality um, in many production areas around the world. Fantastic. I mean, and you said in your, uh, your talk yesterday that, you know, you are obsessed with potatoes, basically. <laughs> and Chad said, like, I have no other hobbies or interests. All I care about is potatoes. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty much a potato nerd, I have to admit. Um, you know, I have my own favorite potato varieties. I'm not sure many, <laughs> many people out, maybe some potato farmers have those. But, uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's an obsession. And I think it's, uh, potato is a fascinating crop because you know you really don't know what you have until harvest right it grows underground it's somewhat hidden from view you can see the tops but you really don't know yield and quality until you dig and and so it's a bit of a mystery i mean we can always go out and and take some test plots and things like that but you truly don't know what you have until the end of the season and i think it's that mystery that's a bit captivating right you work all season and then you really don't know what you're getting until the very end, right? Yeah. So, I, I, like I said, I think that becomes addictive and it's certainly <laughs> captivated me. Wow, yeah, that's, um, it is, when you put it like that, it really is quite like, oh, it's, it's going to be a bit of a surprise and right. it's going to be a good surprise or a bad surprise. That's right. You that's just right. don't really know. That's so, exactly right. Yeah. So tell us a, a bit more about what TriCal does because... I mean, I know um, you're involved in, in fumigation, and we'll get to that in mm-hmm. a minute, but then Trical does a whole bunch of different things, really. Certainly they do. It's a company that was started in California in the early 1960s, um, and it primarily worked in fumigation with strawberry growers. It helped develop that whole strawberry industry, was very supportive of that industry through its development over the years. Um, and it 
just continued to grow, right? So it moved to the east coast of the United States. It then uh, began going global and starting companies and working with companies ar around the world. We have a affiliate here in Australia called TriCal Australia. Primarily uh, over the decades, TriCal has been involved in soil fumigation, but we've expanded. Um, you know, in the, in the United States, we're involved in irrigation, we're in, involved in fertilization, we have a grafted plant business as well. So looking for opportunities beyond soil fumigation to help growers be successful and prosperous. Wow, so even irrigation, that's quite yes. a tangent. Yes, yeah, so all those parts and pieces that a farmer needs in order to be able to manage his crop successfully. And I think what's fascinating is this whole grafted plant business that we've moved into where you, you it's uh, tomatoes and watermelons where you have a resistant rootstock on, on the scion that uh, produces the, the fruit that you want. And you have resistance there where you don't need soil fumigation. So we're looking beyond our roots and trying to grow <laughs> Uh, no pun intended, trying to grow the business uh, again just in a way that supports farmers and what they do. Right, yeah, okay. Um, so maybe if we, if we just talk a bit about the fumigation because, mm -hmm. I mean, as soon as we say soil fumigation, uh, well, people have a very negative reaction to that and I guess that's because of previous products which have been used which are really kill everything in the soil. So could you explain maybe a little bit more about your approach and about use of chloropictin sure. particularly? Sure. Um, yeah, I think there are quite a few misconceptions about soil fumigants through the years. You know, for a long time the standard soil fumigant was methyl bromide. Methyl bromide was really good at disease suppression and weed suppression and nematode suppression. It, it covered all the bases. Um, that product was phased out uh, starting in the mid-90s because it affected the ozone layer, right? So um, there were other products in the market, including chloropicrin uh, and 1,3-D, chloropicrin being really the gold standard um, soil fungicide and 1,3-D being the gold standard nematicide in the marketplace. So as folks started to figure out how to replace methyl bromide and all the things it brought to production, the obvious choice was um, moving more into those combinations of chloropicrin and 1,3-D to, to get that wider spectrum of disease and nematode suppression. And so those combinations or those products individually really became the replacement for, for methyl bromide. However, you know, folks have had a, for, for, for as long as we've used soil fumigants, there, there have been concerns that they sterilize the soil, that they're not uh, sustainable. Uh, and that, those thoughts couldn't be further from the truth. These products don't sterilize the soil. Um, and what we've, what we've learned through the years, and certainly I would say in the last five, six, seven years, we're getting a much better understanding of what happens to the soil microbiology when you put these products in the ground. And 
uh, with chloropicrin and 1,3-D, you can see that they, they certainly um, push that soil biology in a certain direction, but what we're finding is they not only suppress disease and nematodes, but they also promote the growth of many beneficial microbes, including trichoderma, which is a beneficial soil saprophyte, a fungi, uh, bacillus and pseudomonas, which are beneficial uh, bacteria in the soil. And, and these organisms, uh, we've learned, are quite uh, associated with plant roots and support the health and growth and quality of that root system in ground. So you put the products in the ground, you see this uh, within just a couple of weeks, this flush of beneficial organisms in the soil. You plant your crop, those organisms associate with the plant roots and they support healthy development of that crop. And, and that's what we've seen historically over the years. There's always a yield benefit when you use these soil fumigants, uh, and it was always questioned, is that, is that because it's just suppressing disease or pests, or is it because it's doing something more than that? And I, I know what we've learned in the last few years, it's a combination of both. They suppress disease and pests, but they also promote this um, growth of beneficial organisms that help support the growth and health of the crop. It almost sounds too good to be true. It's oh. like it's killing the bad guys and <laughs> no. helping the good guys. Like, how can well, that be true? Well, you, <laughs> I, you kind of have to pinch yourselves yeah. occasionally, right, to yeah. make sure you're not, yeah. this isn't a dream. Yeah. I did my PhD in organic farming practices and working with cover crops. So really, soil fumigants was the kind of the antithesis of what I was working on, right? And through a roundabout way, I I ended up, uh, with a career in soil fumigation, but I still have that concern uh, that, that came with, you know, what I was studying when I was in school, and that is how can we be more sustainable and produce the amount of food that we need as, a, as across the world to, to feed everyone? And, you know, there are concerns about uh, farmland uh, reduction and water reduction and all these issues. So what are the tools that we can use to make sure as a society, as a global society, we're moving forward responsibly, being able to feed the, the people we need to feed quality food, but maintaining uh, farmland as well. And, and to get back to your point about almost being too good to be true, it, it seems that way, right? Um, uh, but I can tell you that the more I study and learn about these products, and I learn more <laughs> every day, mm -hmm. uh, it is the truth. These are these are remarkable pro remarkable products that we need to take advantage of in order to uh, reach the sustainability, regenerative agriculture goals that we have as a society. They're good for everyone. Yeah. Well, certainly, Regen Ag is one of the big pushes on now and I know mm. a lot of the processes are really wanting to um, improve the sustainability of production and uh, getting growers to implement regenerative agriculture. Mm. So you're saying that this is this is really um, could working well with those, very well with those, I those think objectives. Uh, I guess in terms of like what, if you can use this product successfully, 
then you would reduce use of other fungicides and potentially irrigation and fertilizer even? Is that? Yeah, I think that's a, a, a great observation, Jenny, in that um, the way I, <laughs> The way I, and this is a little bit biased, but the way I look at crop production and I look at sustainability and the challenges of farming moving forward, one of the biggest obstacles is suppressing soil-borne disease, right? We, we have a lot of foliar options to suppress foliar diseases. We have good herbicides to suppress weeds. But really, uh, in potato production, the chemical options we have to suppress soil-borne disease are somewhat limited, right? And you've got the sort of the uh, some a couple of really um, detrimental diseases, um, including verticillium wilt or, or the early dye complex with Pratolinchus or lesion nematode, and you have Colletotricum or black dot that are, you know, huge issues that growers have trouble. Um, suppressing and those then limit um, uh, tonnage coming out of the field, right? They're very disruptive in, in how much yield you can get out of the field and the quality of that yield. And so a product like chloropicrin um, suppresses both of, of those diseases. And if you can take those diseases uh, if you can do a good job of taking those diseases out of the equation, then it helps reach, helps um, these goals we have as a, as a society for sustainable crop production, it helps us reach those goals, right? So without that soil-borne disease, you have a healthier root system. That root system is much better at taking up crop nutrition, which means you have less waste when it comes to fertilization. It's better at using the water resources we have, so you have less water waste. And it increases tonnage and yield, so you're producing more tonnage on the acreage that you're farming. So potentially, you could reduce acreage, uh, and, and that would certainly help us all reach those regenerative ag sustainability goals. I think it's important that we, we don't reject tools that are available moving forward simply because we have a bias against those tools, right? Uh, we need to understand what those tools bring, what their strengths are, their weaknesses, and build systems around those that help us get to our goals. So I think, um, so one of the other questions I guess is um, around resistance developing within those target pests mm -hmm. because um, the other methane sodium? Yes. There is, uh, has been a fair bit of resistance developing, as I understand, and so growers are now reportedly applying like six or eight times the dose that they were previously. Have you, do you know if that's likely to occur with chloroprecrine, or, or should it be used, you know, on rotation every few years rather than constantly? Yeah, so uh, you bring up a good point with metamsodium in, in that uh, in some areas you see enhanced degradation when you use that product. So you apply the product over time, you build up a population of microorganisms that, that chew up that, that uh, product, which decreases its dose or efficacy in the field. So you have to continue to increase, like you mentioned, you have to continue to increase the rate you apply to get the level of control you need for crop production. 
Um, we've never seen that, and you know, chloropicrin's been around for 80, 90 years. We've n never seen an instance of enhanced degradation with chloropicrin. Um, and so uh, you don't see rate creep, so to speak, over time with that product. What we do see is, uh, as we touched on this earlier, when you put these products in the ground, they push that soil biology in a, in a direction that, that ends up being positive for plant growth. And as you use these products over time, a product like chloropicrin, you see uh, the, that crop production continue to improve because you're enhancing um, or strengthening uh, the biology in the field to promote crop growth. So, um, so some of the data that we, we were looking at yesterday was showing that um, a recent study that you've only just got the data from, yeah. and it was, you know, and it was really, it was very impressive data. And it was showing the soil populations of trichoderma, which is a, a beneficial fungi mm -hmm. in this situation. Yeah. Um, and after four years of continual application, actually the, tri the trichoderma population in the soil had exploded. Yes. Which is um, quite an exciting development, I should think. Yeah, and uh, you know, we, we, all of us in this industry, we really need to understand that when you're farming, you're farming the crop and you're farming the soil biology as well. You know. You can't farm the crop without impacting the soil biology, and so it it does us all good to understand how these farming practices we're using are impacting soil biology. So it's a dual seems to be a dual effect in that there's it's both a pesticide and somewhat of a growth regulator response, and it's not the chloropicrin that's doing that growth regulating response, which we're learning more about, and some of this trial we just talked about and seeing the organisms are, that are present have, have, have told us, it's really chloropicrin promoting these uh, beneficial organisms, and those organisms then interacting with that crop, and in some way telling that crop, hey, we're in a great growing environment, you can promote, you can promote, or you can produce um, a larger set. So uh, it's not uncommon that as you um, increase rate, you'll see uh, one, two, three more tubers per hill, which then means you know you have some agronomic questions you need to answer. If I have a larger set, do I need to space uh, increase my inner row spacing, which saves me money on seed? Um, because of the larger set, it's going to take more room to fill those tubers out, right? So you can reduce the amount of seed you're place, or planting per hectare. And, and so there are some um, snowballing benefits to cost, right, as, as, you, as you begin to use those product, this product. So I guess the other question is whether you could use this in a very precision agriculture manner where you target it to particular areas of the paddock which you know have mm. a worse disease problem or more of a fertility issue and so you could adjust your rate within the paddock yes. accordingly mm -hmm. uh, and then we're getting into really fine control of, <laughs> of plant growth but do you think right. that's possible? Certainly and I think that's a great observation there Jenny and we're doing some of that in Canada now with our affiliate where um, 
to back up, chloropicrin's really good at suppressing common scab. And um, in fields, there can be a pH difference across the field. And pH, uh, the more acidic the soil you have, normally, traditionally, the less common scab you have, right? So um, we've tried that variable rate, or uh, you know, it's called a variable rate application, where um, the farmer knows that pH gradient across the field. He knows where his problem is with common scab in the field traditionally. So when we get to that area, we choose a rate that suppresses the common scab. And in the other areas, we, we have not gone with that high of rate, right? So um, we haven't done the on-off, which maybe you're suggesting. Can, can we apply here and not apply here? But we're working into this gradually to try to understand this this whole program and how it works and it's been successful so we've been able to save the grower money by using overall less product but concentrating that product where his problem is yeah. in the field yeah mm -hmm. so i mean i don't forgive my ignorance but how do you actually apply it ah, it's um it can be applied in <laughs> several different ways i would say the most common way in potatoes is to apply it in row uh, with a single shank, so it's applied with a machine that has a bedding unit in it. It could be six rows, eight rows, four rows, whatever. Um, uh, and you have a single shank in the center of that row, and uh, it injects the product uh, 25, 30 centimeters below the soil surface. It pulls up a, a row, does some compaction to keep the product in the ground. You're applying it bare ground. Um, and then, uh, you know, within two weeks, three weeks, you have the opportunity to come back and plant. And you would just plant directly into that treated row. And oftentimes you don't need additional tillage uh, before planting, you just plant into that row. Uh, other options include broadcast application, which I know our affiliate here in Australia is, is doing quite readily, uh, where uh, instead of that raised row system, you're just broadcasting it on the flat mm -hmm. and rolling behind it to seal the soil to protect mm -hmm. it from the product coming out of the ground. And then again, two to three weeks later, coming in and, and mm -hmm. planting like normal. So it's just activated by moisture in the soil or you have to irrigate? When it's, um, it's actually a liquid in the containers we bring to the field and then as it exits the the knife the injection knife it it rapidly turns to a gas and it's that gas that moves throughout the soil pore space mm -hmm. so soil preparation before application is critical you know you don't want clods in your soil you don't want a a lot of organic residue like corn stalks or or roots and big root balls things like that you really need to work that soil into like we call it a seed bed condition where it's um, a fine tilth, uh, not too wet uh, because you got to have that pore space for it to move through. And then after application, certainly if you have the ability to irrigate, it's always good to put uh, a few mills on top in order to help mm -hmm. keep the product in the ground. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I'm. Um, I'm really excited to read this report. You know, it's it's um it's absolutely fascinating. There's um different interactions of soil biology and, and what's going on because soil health is so 
I think we're now finally recognising the importance of soil health Certainly. in every aspect of mm -hmm. plant productivity, yield, quality and so on. So mm -hmm. anything we can do that will improve soil health without having um, negative impacts on other I, parts I of the environment is... I agree wholeheartedly yeah. with that. And I think these tools to evaluate the biology in the soil mm. are becoming more readily available. They're becoming less expensive to the general public, right? So I foresee, <laughs> probably wrong here, but I would think uh, sometime here in the near future, anyone who's selling a product that is going in ground is gonna have to understand how that affects soil biology and soil health mm -hmm. before those products are registered. So I would hope here at the TriCal Group we're a bit ahead of the curve, mm -hmm. trying to figure out where our products fit and what they do uh, in order to build system, production systems where they can maximize the benefit. Yeah. No, mm -hmm. that's, that's great. That's really, uh, it's really exciting. So um, um, I hope you have a, a fantastic, you're only here in Australia for just over a week. So no. <laughs> really appreciate your time to come out here to, to Ballarat today yeah, yes. and experience the wonderful uh, tropical weather that we're having at uh, seven degrees and raining in February. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> All not quite what you were expecting, <laughs> I would imagine. Probably not. But I only brought one pair of shorts, so I guess I'm, I, I didn't overestimate the weather. But, uh. <laughs> no, you didn't. So, so thank you so much. That is really fascinating, and um, I'm sure we'll be hearing more about this product in the future. Thank you, Jenny. Thanks for this opportunity. It's been so good to meet you and, and the rest of the folks at Potato Link, and uh, I look forward to meeting more potato farmers here in Australia. Thank you. That brings us to the end of this episode of the Potato Link podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this discussion on soil fumigation. Don't forget to hit subscribe to keep up to date with new episodes. If you have any feedback or suggestions for future episodes, please reach out to us via email at info at or contact us through LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Don't forget to share with your friends, family and colleagues who might be interested. It is important to highlight that the Potato Link project is not endorsing the use of any products discussed in the podcast. The information being provided is for educational purposes only. Growers should always adhere to product label directions and should consult with their agronomist to seek advice that is specific to their situation. Please note, product label directions can vary between states and may need further consideration if produce is being exported.